Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. An Erio's original. I've done shows where I tell my story on stage where people in literally Trump hats come to my oh shows. My yeah. But at the end, they all come up and go, you know what? Nobody's ever told that story to me like you. And I understand. I mean, food, it's like a Trojan horse. So mm -hmm. it's its a way to talk about other stuff sort of in the disguise of like the big wooden horse. It's like, oh, you think we're talking, we're just going to talk about like kimchi stew, mm -hmm. but actually we're going to talk about like politics and immigration. Hi, I'm Margaret Cho. Welcome to The Margaret Cho, my podcast. Today we talk to the amazing Michael Yo. He is um, an entertainment reporter, an amazing stand-up comedian, and my very, very good friend. He's amazing. Yeah, but I just travel in the United States a lot right now. Yeah, well, on the road and doing so many things. Now, I think that most people know you from all of your reporting. So yeah. You are uh, uh, definitely um, a very familiar face on entertainment, t television, anything E related. Anything that starts with an E, I've been on. E.T., yeah. Entertainment Tonight, Insider, uh, I was on Extra. You know, so I've been on all the entertainment shows. Which is really cool. Like, now, how did you... I actually tried to do this once, but I'll tell you. But how did you get into starting to do this? So I did a radio show in Miami, mm -hmm. and the radio show was really big. And at the time, a gentleman named Ted Harbour was the president yes. at E. Mm -hmm. And he heard my radio show and was like, this guy needs to be on TV. Ah. And literally, I got a phone call. Annie from Annie Marine and uh, I'll never forget it, Tiffany. And they brought me in for casting just to see what I look like on camera. And six months later, I was on E! News in the Daily wow. 10. And it's one of those things where when I first got hired, I didn't know how hard it was to get on TV. Yeah. And I, I, I it's not I always appreciate it. But until I moved here and saw the industry, I, I mean, it's so crazy. I got a random phone call out mm -hmm. of nowhere and never did TV, and now I'm on TV on a national platform. Well, I mean, but you, I think because you are very natural there, I mean, it's kind of a hard thing to do, um, you know, showbiz reporting because it's like, it's very specific, but some people are very natural at it, you know, whether it's yourself or somebody like Greg Kinnear. Yes. You know, people see him and they go, oh, I really want to get the, this kind of news from this person because it, it makes sense. It's a very it's a very specific kind of identity. It is. It is. People want to know, like, first of all, people want to like you. Yeah. And the biggest compliment 
I learned as a host on the host side is when they don't call you a host. They mm. go, they think they know you. Right. Because you come across TV as a friend. Yeah. They go, man, I know you. Um, you know, I watch you all. But when they go, oh, you host that show, uh-huh. then they see you as just a host. Right. And sometimes you're so good where in their head they think they actually know you. Did we go to school together? Yeah. And that means more to me than being, oh, you're that host on that show. Because when you get categorized as a host, which we know in Hollywood is a great thing in some cases, but a bad case in a a lot of things. I remember going to castings and people would go, oh, you're a host. Okay, go ahead, do the lines for Mm -hmm. acting or Mm -hmm. anything else. Now that I started doing stand-up, it's like, I saw you at the Laugh Factory, the improv comedy store, and you can host? Oh, my God, this is amazing. So it changes the game. No, it definitely makes um, for a much more diverse portfolio. Absolutely, absolutely. Which I love. People always think that I I, uh, work at Buffalo Wild Wings. (laughs) They go, "Uh, do do you work at Buffalo Wild Wings? I've had that question. You've had people ask you that. Quite a few times, actually. Are there a lot of Asian Koreans that work at Buffalo Wild Wings or something? I, I don't know, but I think that I have a face that people are like, I know you from somewhere, but I I feel like... <laughs> but you're like, not famous. It's yeah, Buffalo Wild Wings. I think you work at Buffalo Wild Wings, you know, but it, it, it's... It, it's always Buffalo Wild Wings. So I'm like, maybe I should. I've never even been to one, so I, I should investigate. You would probably kill it at Buffalo Wild Wings. Maybe I, maybe I should get into the franchise. You know, maybe hey, I get should. yourself a franchise. Margaret chose Buffalo Wild Wings. I like that. I like that. I like that. So I, um, uh, my impression of you is that you started as a stand-up comedian and went into uh, this reporting journalism. Uh-huh. Uh, but actually, it's the other so way around. The other way around. Yes. I never wanted to do stand-up. Uh, I I was a huge fan Mm. of stand-up, but I never dreamed in a million years that I would do stand-up. It it wasn't on my list. And then I was on Chelsea lately when it was at its prime. I was on all seven years, and I would fly around to uh, interview celebrities. Mm. And uh, everywhere I went, everywhere I landed, people go, where are you performing tonight? Just because I was on the round table with comedians, they considered me a comedian when I really didn't tell any jokes. I was there to report the news because I worked. I was the news guy on Chelsea. Yeah. So I gave the facts. Yeah. But people just assumed since I was there, I could do comedy too. Mm-hmm. So finally, I, I remember like it was yesterday, I tweeted, hey, I think I'm going to try stand up. Mm. And the next day I'm on Chelsea and Chelsea stops the show and goes, oh, you think you can just try stand up? <laughs> it's so easy. And the thing I said, and I was just talking out, I go, it doesn't look that hard. And the whole round table and Chelsea were like, oh, okay, oh. whatever. So Chelsea challenged me to go on stage. Mm-hmm. I went on stage in Miami. And the first time I did 15 minutes. Wow. And, but I didn't know I did 15 minutes. It was nerves. Yeah. I just did a bunch of crowd work and stuff. And I didn't know where a light was. So I, they mm-hmm. were like, just look for the light. I didn't know where a light <laughs> was. I was so nervous. Yeah. So when I got off, it was 15 minutes later. But that energy is and and I got off a of stage. I called my mom. I was like, "This is what I was born to do." I love it so much. Aww. I love it because I think in Hollywood, where we live, you get a lot of no's. Mm-hmm. And to be able to go on stage and get four hundred yeses yeah. at once when you perform, it really helps you balance the industry out here. Right. Yeah, for me, for me, because go to casting, no. Go to casting, no. Go to casting, no. Go to Laugh Factory, Improv, Comedy Store. Oh yeah, you're great being yourself. Right. And that was most important is now when I go in to do shows, 
I'm so confident in myself and stand up has done that. Yeah. Because you, you know, when you first start, it was hard finding my voice mm -hmm. and you're like, oh, I'm going to be like this person. And then when you finally find yourself, it's weird where you stop performing for them and it's more about you, the message you want to get out. And if they think it's funny, it's funny. Mm -hmm. But as long as you think it's funny. Yeah, and that's, I think, really important. Now, I know that you do a lot of material about being Korean. I think of you as Korean. No, I'm 100% Korean. But you're also black. I am 100% black. So <laughs> you are, your spirit picked the two ethnic identities that are fiercely kind of like... Competitive. Oh, they have ownership. Like, they're like, you know, we always sort of think, like, Asian people are always like, well, they're Asian. Like... Tiger Woods, oh, he's Asian. Yeah. He, you know, they're, they're like... We, and then black people are like, he's black. Oh, he's black. Yeah, we like to claim it, maybe because there's not so much representation out there in the world, so we want to claim those identities for ourselves. 100%, 100%. And I struggled with that growing up. I went to an all-white school, mm. and my parents were, like, trendsetters in, in my area. Like, it was the only interracial couple in wow. Houston, Texas. Yeah. So it was interesting being me... Because, you know, you hang out with the Asian kids, the black kids, and there wasn't many Asian or blacks, but when you did hang out with one ethnicity, if you hung out with the blacks, then the Asians would get mad, then you hung out with the Asians, the black kids would get mad. White kids didn't care. Yeah. You know, so it almost like I felt that they treated me more fairly than everybody else, but they treated me fairly because I was so different. They were, it wasn't like they respected it. They were like, oh man, he's different. Let's learn about this guy. Yeah. You know, but everybody wants to learn. It was kids. They say stupid stuff. I got called terrible names growing up, like nigga chank. You oh know? my God. Yeah. You oh know? my God. But it was a thing that I think today mm -hmm. I benefit from it because now it's my comedy. Now it's everything right. I talk about. Right. And it's about like, I mean, I think in comedy, the best material is always from identity. Like it comes from this place of like, well, this is where. I, I can actually very specifically speak from a very like kind of a painful place, an honest place, but also it it, it makes it really funny. Yeah. And I think if you have like an Asian mom, oh. it's really it's really a gold mine. I found, of course. Oh, of course. I, I I'm the same way. I yeah. mean, we both have mothers that will say no filter, say yeah. whatever they want. And, and like my wife. I married my wife. I remember two days after I married my wife, my mom looks at my wife and goes, you have dry skin. Oh, and I'm like, no. oh my, like my, my wife is like, no, I don't. She goes, are you white? And my <laughs> wife goes, yeah. She says, well, you have dry skin. So, I mean, my, but now she uses all the Korean, <laughs> oh. uh, but she doesn't have dry skin, but she yeah. loves the Korean products. My mom bought her this extravagant Korean face creams oh. and all this stuff. So now she loves it. She uses it every night. But it's the thing about Asian moms. They just say anything. Yeah. And and like I, the big thing my wife is talking about now, my mom used to have long hair and my wife has very long hair. And my mom, I think they get misinterpreted because they don't know what they're saying. Mm -hmm. My mom told my wife that, oh, you know, I used to have long hair, uh, but mine was thick, not thin like yours. Mm. But my mom thinks because it was hot that there's no way she could survive with that much hair if it was super <laughs> thick so it has to be thin yeah. but she wasn't saying oh your hair is thin that's an insult right you know she was like oh my gosh it must be thinner than mine mm -hmm. because i there's no way my hair could be that long in, yeah. in the summer but yeah. my wife took it as she thinks i have thin hair oh no 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 you're misinterpreting it no it's almost like i think the korean thing is that we're not going to talk to you unless we're talking about something that we can help you with. Like it's kind of like every um, 
every time you speak, it's like we have to benefit you somehow. Like this has to be <laughs> beneficial to you, and uh -huh. it's not meant to be uh, insulting, and it's not meant to be hurtful. It's just like, well, I'm older, so that means I can give you some advice in some capacity. Some very straightforward advice, no yeah. sugarcoating. Yeah, which isn't, you know, you 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 know, the American way is not to ever mention those kinds of things, even if. It's not true. We could maybe she could even fabricate something that maybe I can help you with this, you know. If no, uh, yeah, it's the thing where I just I just like growing up is weird in a black and Asian household because no one I don't know if it was the same with you, but my parents never told me they love me. Yeah. Like like my yeah. they they don't use the word love. Mm -hmm. Like I I kind of forced my dad at 29 to tell me he loved me. Aww. Yeah, it, it was very weird because I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah. And now I'm learning. Like, like I didn't know people were supposed to say it that much. Right. Because I never, my parents never told me they loved me till I called them out on yeah. it. Yeah. You know, so, because, but here's the thing. I never knew you were supposed to do that. And now right. I'm learning from my wife. She's white, born in Wyoming. Ooh. So I'm learning a lot of things that seem racist that people do. A lot of people or things that people don't agree with, they just don't know. Yeah. Just think about it. I was in relationships with people and I didn't know you were supposed to say I love you. Oh, yeah. And so people are like, oh, he's so rude. He's so this, he's so that. And I'm going, oh, you were supposed to do that? So I just was ignorant yeah. about it because yeah. of, from my upbringing. Yeah. And now I'm learning like... With my wife, she's she's from an all-white family. Mm -hmm. I mean, Wyoming, as white as you can get. Yeah. Uh, her family's amazing. But there's a lot of things that she thinks is funny. Like, for instance, true story, uh, we leave a restaurant, so it's my wife, her mom, and our son. And they're waving bye to me. I'm at the stoplight. And uh, the light turns green, and a cop car behind me goes, woo, and flashes their lights. Uh-huh. So the cop car follows me for about a mile and then turns off. I get home, my wife, my son, and uh, her mother are there, my mother-in-law, and they go, oh my God, wasn't that funny? The cop flashes lights at you. I bet you thought it was for you, but it was really for Oliver. The cop was waving at Oliver, our little son. Oh. But but wasn't that funny? You probably thought you were gonna get pulled over. And in my mind, I go, no, it's not funny. It's not. Because, because I'm thinking, I'm, and this is honest, I may ne never see my family again. Right. What am I gonna say to this cop? Right. What, They've never had to deal with those yeah. social injustices like yeah. that. They yeah. think if you're good to a cop, they're going to let you go. Yeah. You know, nothing's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Where I grew up in Houston, where I've been in cars that got profiled right. and pulled over. So it was interesting. And eventually it'll get to stage once I learn how to present it or figure out how to present it. But it's those differences where they thought it was funny mm -hmm. that a cop flashed their lights at me. And I thought I was going to get pulled over. Where yeah. in my mind, I'm going... I made I literally went through my head. So many people are getting killed for reasons that don't. What am I going to say? What am I going to do? Is my insurance up to date? Will I ever see my right? What will, will I ever see my family again? And those are the true actual things that are going through my mind where they thought it was funny. Yeah, yeah. You see what I mean? Yeah. So, so it's not that they're like, oh, they just don't know. They just haven't had that experience. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, that the idea of privilege. You know, people don't feel it because. They've never noticed it as privilege. Yeah, it, it's just every day for them. Yeah, it's it, just a given. It, it is, and I, I think, and I think sometimes people get turned off by the word privilege, mm -hmm. and I think a lot of people just associate privilege with money. Mm -hmm. But to me, privilege, yeah, it's about money, but it's about social. 
uh, justices and yeah. injustices that happen more than money. Yeah. Like, because I see the biggest complaint where people go, oh, you're pre- you're saying I'm privileged. Well, I'm at my nine to five job, too, and you probably make more money than me. It's not about that. No, no. It's not about money. It's about how different people start at different places. Exactly. And you have to just recognize that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. as long as you recognize that, mm-hmm. we're not asking you to change. It, it, it's kind of like if you know you're from a very wealthy family, mm-hmm. you're going to start way further than a kid that's not from a very wealthy family because you're going to have the best schools. Mm-hmm. And this kid isn't. This kid is going to have to struggle more to get to a place that you're already at. Yeah. So yeah. how can you not acknowledge that? No, there are opportunities for everybody mm-hmm. in America. Everybody has the same opportunity, mm-hmm. but not everybody starts at the same place. Right. And I think one, I, I think today, if you want to go that route, the political route, I think people are yelling at each other mm-hmm. and not talking like that. Right. People are just not having this conversation where how can you not acknowledge that you're starting further mm-hmm. than someone? Yeah. And let me tell you, there's a lot of white people that don't start further right. they're starting with the with the with the poor people mm-hmm. uh that live in a terrible areas they have the worst schools yeah. there's a lot of white people latino people black people asian people a lot of ethnicities so mm-hmm. as long as you acknowledge not groups of people i think you need to acknowledge certain stories mm-hmm. like if i come to you say i was middle class i don't have the same struggles as a black kid from the hood mm-hmm. you know but i noticed the difference I know I had more opportunities than the kid. If we were in a 100-yard dash, mm-hmm. I had a 25-yard head start yeah. where uh, uh, a person that's from a very wealthy family has a 50-yard head start. Yeah. Now, we all have a chance to win that race, mm-hmm. but this dude in the hood has to run twice as fast or four times as fast as everybody else. Yeah. And yeah. it has to go through a lot more struggles to get there. Right. And as long as you acknowledge that and don't be blind to that, mm-hmm. I, I think we can move forward and people just need to stop yelling at you and talk. I know. And I know. It it's so important. I mean, I think a lot of those things, those any inequality things that I think that comes about, like now we're talking about it more because of that mindset of like, we want to have intersectionality yes. and learn to talk to each other in a way that it has understanding. And so we can somehow avoid fighting uh, as we've been doing. And I think art helps. I think movies, TV, all of that is helping us get there. You know, and it's, but it's interesting. I think like, did you always sort of understand this because of being kind of an, because you're, you're outside, you're Korean, you're black, you're outside of these cultures that are so fiercely protective of themselves. And also we're pitted against each other in right. movies. Right. I mean, any black movie, you walk into a liquor store and it was an Asian trying to kick you out. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I, that's Boys in the Hood, that's Menace to Society. Those are the movies I grew up with. Yeah. And I were, and I was the two polar opposites that were right. always banging up against each other. Yeah. But one thing I learned from my dad is, you know, he marched for equality. Mm-hmm. So I always learned from, and I've never to this day heard my dad say anything bad about white people. Mm-hmm. Even though white people at that time, there was a lot of prejudice against yeah. him, and yeah. he still got a PhD in nuclear physics. Wow! So it's it's a it's a story, but I've, he never blamed anybody else. Mm-hmm. So I guess I come from that frame of mind where you know there's ignorant people. Mm-hmm. You just have to deal with it, but you got to keep moving towards your goal. Don't yell at people. Just try to talk to them. Right. If you're making common sense and they're just yelling, mm-hmm. you're not going to win that argument anyway. Right. But I've done shows where I tell my story on stage where 
people in literally Trump hats come to my oh my shows yeah. because when I'm on, when I do press, I go, I don't talk about po- me. I don't talk about politics. Yeah. So I think people try to test it. Yeah. And so they come out, but at the end, they all come up and go, you know what? Nobody's ever told that story to me like you. And I understand. Yeah. You didn't yell at me. You didn't. But like I said, there's so many other people that can talk about politics way better than me. Yeah. So I think my thing is more of trying to bring people together through comedy. That's my thing. Yeah. Where I think other comedians, I mean, go for it. That's mm-hmm. your thing. Like mine is more, I you know, I didn't have the struggles. Mm-hmm. Like a, it's kind of like a rapper. I'm like the Drake. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like like I'm the Taylor Swift of hip hop. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Like I don't have problems. Yeah. So my comedy is more about joy and life and loving your family. Uh-huh. Because I didn't have I'm not going to talk about something I didn't have. Right. You know, and I don't think but I know social issues uh, affect other people differently than me. Yeah. So they should talk about it. Yeah. Who are your favorite comics? Right now, or like I grew up with Eddie Murphy mm-hmm. and Richard Pryor, and yeah. then I listened to Red Fox Records. I love Red Fox. Oh, so, so dirty. dirty. Yes. Yeah, he was. Um, he had a Korean wife. Uh, Did he really? Yeah, his last TV show was it called The Royal Family? Something. It, yeah, it was. Um, and I went to some event. This is in like early '90s. That was um being held for him, and then I think he had passed away, and then the widow, his widow, came and spoke, and she was wearing full on hanbok, straight up really? Korean barely spoke any English and it was really I was I didn't know I was like oh okay <laughs> that's cool that's cool yeah right Koreans are taking over it so I was like I and when somebody has an Asian wife I'm kind of like uh you know that's kind of cool but then it but then it sometimes it you know then I, I don't agree like well, Sun and Woody Allen but... yeah well people are shocked that Dave Chappelle has an Asian wife yeah yeah it's cool you know like, like it, oh. it's cool so they got little Blasian kids running around too that's great also Wayne Brady Wayne Brady as well. Yes. Absolutely. I love so that. I just think it's a thing where, um, uh, like, as Koreans and as being black, like, it, it's now it's so funny that today, when I was growing up, everything that people made fun of me mm-hmm. is now in. Yeah. People made fun of my big lips. Now everybody wants their lips big. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, half black people are in. Obama, Tiger Woods, <laughs> Steph Curry. You know, like, yeah. everything is just turned mm-hmm. For to favor me, mm-hmm. so and it's just weird being dogged about something, and now you're loved. Yeah, about something. It's great, you know. And I, do you feel the same about? Uh, here's what I notice about stand up, and I've only been doing it nine years, but is it just me or the Korean community isn't really? They don't follow comics or Koreans like Filipinos follow their people oh yeah yeah like they're not very supportive well i think they are i think it is what it is is that it's changing i think that a lot of that is shifting because um we're uh seeing a lot more like comedy shows with asian nights Uh you know that i think people are very responsive to um and but the korean community uh i think because of the la riots they were incredibly uh protective of their image and so I was starting comedy around then and on TV and they really were angry that I was somehow tarnishing the image of Korean Americans, like somehow being really nasty. And I got a lot of kind of really nasty, you you know, talking to phone calls, like very angry Korean elders really mad at me. And but fortunately, all those people are dead. (laughs) So it's just me. Like I'm the elder now. Yeah. And so I think that things are changing. But yeah, we don't have those things of like. Because I think when 
um, yeah, the Filipino community incredibly supportive. Oh my of goodness, their comedians. Yes. And, um, you know, we don't necessarily have that in Korean. I mean, I think we're getting there. I think also what's happening is Asian Americans are uniting as one much more now these days. Yes. You know, it, it's interesting. Like, I love like um, doing these Asian nights. I pop on. I'm I'm uh, hosting a Korean community center event at Walt Disney World, like yeah. in, in a couple of months. Wow. So it's a thing where I love being involved with the community because mm-hmm. the community for the first time and this is Hollywood. You know, I've been here the last 12 years. But it's the sense of pride. And it, it started with John Chu and Crazy Rich Asians, you know. Mm-hmm. It seems like that movie has kind of moved things forward. Yeah. And now people are really starting to take control of their careers and really, like, I love turning on my TV and Kim Jong's everywhere. You know, yeah. literally, yeah. I, I was performing at the improv watching TV and he's on a commercial. I love you know? it, yeah. I, I love seeing it and I love how supportive he is. He and, is, he's great. And I, I love, I, I think it's a time where with Asian comics, now is the time for us to support each other mm-hmm. because there's room for everybody. Yeah, there is. There is. And, there I, is. and I think you're very supportive yes. of other Asian comedians always. and just supportive of the whole community of comedy. Yeah. You know, you've always been great to me. So it's a thing where I think we need to take a cue in from past comedians. When I, I even started 12 years ago, it was more competitive. Right. And I, I think because there was the stage was the only outlet. Mm-hmm. So everybody competed for that stage. Yeah. Now there's so many outlets to get your uh, product out. Yeah. You know, I think that's kind of now is what I like about comedy now. If you have a bo- big podcast, everybody wants to be on your podcast so you can support everybody. Right. Too. So there's no competition really because everybody's supporting everybody because mm-hmm. it helps everybody. It does. And that's what I like today. I love that. I love that. I think um I think that's really marvelous. Um I think my favorites right now in terms of comics. Oh yeah, are, I didn't answer uh, the question, yeah. sorry. But like I, I really love a Jimmy O. Yang. I oh, love yeah. love Jimmy. He's so different. To yeah. me, he's like so I mean like that's like the new generation. Yeah, I, I love Jimmy. I, I love you know, I'm old, I, I love still love Bill Burr. You know, yeah, I yeah. love Bill Burr. I love Dave Chappelle, of course. Yeah. Uh, I Fahim mm-hmm. Anwar. Mm-hmm. I like him. He's yeah. always at the comedy store. Like I, I like to watch comedians that don't go over my topics. That, uh-huh. You know, because I never want to feel like I've taken something or even an idea from another comedian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't watch like. I watch comedians that I definitely couldn't do that act. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not mad enough to do ever copy a joke from Bill Burr, you know, or even <laughs> want to. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. so, I like to watch more highbrow comedy than mm-hmm. me. Like I'll, I'll watch a lot of political humor, yeah. like Bill Maher and yeah. uh, things Feels like great. that. But I won't watch like a, a Cosby or a Gaffigan or mm-hmm. uh, even Kevin Hart to a certain extent because he talks about his family a lot. Mm-hmm. But I love Kevin Hart as a person. Yeah. Yeah. But I try to stay away from it because I never want to feel like oh i i heard this from them and then i i don't know where you stand on that but i hear an idea and i'm like ah did that come from them or was this original to me and how do you how do you navigate it? well i mean i think it it's also the way that i think of things it's kind of a little bit uh it's a little weird like actually jerry seinfeld described by comedy as um you know, quirky artisanal handmade jewelry that I would sell <laughs> on like a yeah. like a like a piece of like felt in like a park, which I think at a farmers that, market. Yeah, like I'm like selling like the feather earrings at the farmers market of comedy, which I think that is actually very true. Yeah. So I have a feeling that the way that I'm going to see something is probably so different that it it might uh 
never really replicate another comedian, I think. Yeah. So, um, but I know that 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 that's definitely a thing. Like, because there's a lot of things of like, you know, especially when things happen in 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 culture everybody's got to say something about it. Yes. And there's not that many funny responses. You're always going to have the same thing as maybe another comedian. It's like there's certain reflexes that we do that are all going to be kind of the same. Same, yes. So I think, um, you know, th there is that sort of danger. But then also right now, material, you have to write so much so fast that a lot of it is a bit dispensable, mm -hmm. I think. And do you do a lot of dispensable material? Or yeah. you're, you're a very topical writer. I try to, yeah. just to keep it sharp and keep it going. Also, I can't resist sometimes because there's so many like, I love, I love following news all the time. Absolutely. So there's so many things. So I think that there's like, you know, there's a need for it too. But do you go up enough where after you write a bunch of stuff, is there that need to go up or are you satisfied sometimes just writing and go, all right, I know I'm not going to be up in a week and it'll be old by then, but yeah. I'm yeah. Then you can uh, either, maybe it would become like a social media thing. Yeah. You could tweet about it or something or that it could go into. And then also like I'm old enough to do like sort of like you have archetypes that you make jokes about that you could just change the name. That's very like um, that. That's kind of like Joan Rivers is that she had all these jokes about Elizabeth Taylor that you could actually just put in the person of the moment. So then it would be Paris ah. Hilton. Then it would be Lindsay Lohan and then it would be the Kardashians, you know, so there there's a kind of thing of like society or showbiz seems to replicate the same Absolutely. archetypes. And so you can use those jokes again in 20 years time or whatever. So, so do you have a big card catalog? I know this is <laughs> I'm on your pie, but I'm so interested and fascinated with your yeah. comedy. I mean, do you write everything out and have it like stored somewhere? Or? No, but you I don't know. There's probably something place in my brain that you store jokes yeah. that like this never worked, but it's got to work at some point with somebody somewhere. Yeah. So, you know, maybe that's it, you know, that it, it sort of sticks six in your brain. Wow. I don't have the card catalog. I wonder where that card catalog is. It's probably at the Smithsonian or something. I would imagine. I would imagine. And mm. I, I have to ask you one question. Yes. Because, you know, you were, were you the first Asian American with a sitcom back yes. in the day? So, yes. looking back on that, because now a lot of us are getting opportunities to yeah. do sitcoms and things like that. What is one piece of advice that you learned way back then that you could pass on to a person like me or any other person that like that's Asian that's coming out with a uh, podcast? Well, I mean, a, a, any, a sitcom. Yeah, and anything really. Anything. I mean, I think it's just to listen to your own instincts because they're going to be the best and that people are going to try to tell you things that would be good for you, but you're actually going to know. That, you know, I, for my experience, I gave so much trust to people who really had no idea wow. what was right and what I needed to do. And uh, just because I thought, well, I don't know. These people know television way better than I do. But uh, actually, it, that wasn't true. I actually held the answer. So I think the most important thing as any artist, you've got to trust yourself first yeah. and make your own voice the most important. Uh -huh. But that's a hard thing to do for a lot of people. Is that what you would have changed? If that's you... what I would have changed. That and I would um, take in more hair vitamins. Because <laughs> my hair, it was so great then, and now it's not that great. But I, you know, those are the two things that I would have done. Oh, wait, maybe more sunblock. Sunblock. More. <laughs> more sun... <laughs> the big hats, the gloves. Yeah. yeah. I should have been more like, you know, that Korean golf attitude where you oh. know skin is, is uh, like it's exposed to the sun at all. Do you under, I mean, it's amazing to see Koreans golf. They cover every part yeah. of their body. It's 
how how do they not get hot? I like, don't know, it's, but it's every single in the hands. It's the like hand, gloves. They have gloves on, like yeah. But the gloves that come halfway up their arm too. Yeah. It's insane. And then they'll have the the, the driving glove with the screen because <laughs> they screen. can't see. I mean, I think that's why that there's like that weird thing about Asian drivers can't see. It's because they have so much sun protection <laughs> that they can't see out of the car. But isn't it? Don't you hate that stereotype though? Because it's true. Yeah. It is so true. I, I'm the worst driver. Are you really? I'm terrible. See, yeah. I'm a good driver. Yeah. I'm a good driver. But every time I see somebody do something stupid on the road, I literally go, please don't be Asian. Please don't be Asian. And they're Asian. Yeah. And I hate that stereotype. It sucks. And I, I don't understand why. Why is that? I really don't understand why. I don't know. Is it kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy if you tell yourself these things? It's like the secret. Like if we think about it, then it'll happen. You know? It's like, this is my lane. And they really mean this is my road. Yeah. <laughs> We've, we've, yeah, we've taken it over somehow. I don't know, man, but it's I. That's one stereotype I really hate, and yeah. that's true. It's not well. It's it. It's something we've got to change. Uh, you we've know what? Change. Twenty twenty. That's yeah. what we're gonna do. We're gonna change. We're gonna change the stereotype on Asian drivers. Yes. They and will... and yeah, that's that. That's the thing. Now uh, we're almost at the end. I just want to ask you, what is your uh, what's up for twenty twenty? We're gonna be twenty twenty soon. Yes. Hopefully. What are you, what are you doing? Uh, well, definitely. Uh, well, I, I'm working on my new comedy. I have a new a comedy special out on Amazon Prime. It's mm -hmm. called Blasian. And yes. now I'm working on uh, the second one. Yes. And I should be shooting by the end of 2020. Wow. And uh, yeah, it's all about family and it's all about my wife and oh. kid. And hopefully by then we'll have another kid. We'll see, you know. <gasps> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, now everybody wants a girl. You know, my mom is pushing us really hard to have a girl, yeah. you know, like we can't, I, you know, we'll see, but that's what I want to do. And I'm really excited to see this election because um, it's yeah. going to get so dirty and so crazy and so crazy. And what I love, like, and maybe you totally disagree. And look, I know all the bad Donald Trump has done, but I feel that at certain times, sometimes bad needs to happen mm -hmm. for people to realize they don't want to be like that. Right. And right. though, you know, when I always try to make a negative into a positive. Mm -hmm. So when people go, oh, Donald Trump's president, I go, but look how many people he's brought together. Yeah. Even if it, by all the people that hate the way he's governing the country. Yeah. Like you had 500,000 women march yeah. because of Donald Trump. You had people supporting Muslims yeah. because he attacked them. Yeah. That wouldn't have happened if Hillary was president. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, I mean, that's the good is I, I found that he's bringing people together that usually wouldn't have come together mm -hmm. just to go against him. Right. Yeah, it's terrible, the, the lies and things like how women aren't believed, mm -hmm. but they're supposed to be believed on every other case, like a Harvey Weinstein. and You know, I, I hate that he gets away with a lot of stuff. Yeah. But on the positive side, I do feel that he's brought so many people that oppose him together, mm -hmm. and they're fighting for the same cause, where mm -hmm. a lot of times people are separating just into their own worlds. Now people are like, oh, this is our world. We kind of got to take it back. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Well, thank you, Michael. Thank Yo. you. Thank you. I'm bowing. I know. That's a podcast. <laughs> I'm bowing. You had a bow. Thank you. Thank you. That was awesome. That was great. We have an amazing conversation with Lucas Peterson, who is an incredible food critic, writer. Um, he's the host of Dining on a Dime for Eater, and uh, he's, he's amazing. You'll love him. Yeah, coming out of the dark. Nice. Yeah. 
What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Right. Right. Although people on juries probably don't know enough to go down there. I guess maybe now you could say, turn your phone on. Yeah. But it, yeah, it's a sticky restaurant. So, well, thanks for getting up for us. Thank you for having me here. I'm such a fan. I'm such a fan. I your your show your show your ABC show came out when I was in high school, wow. and it made such an impression on me. Oh, that it, yeah. So that's all I'll say. It I felt like it was a show that was sort of born too soon, mm-hmm. but it it was really like a mind blowing thing to see at the time on TV. Oh. I remember just that registering for me. I'm so grateful. Well, thank you. Yeah. I think that um, you know because at that time, this is 1994. Yeah. We really thought that this might be um, a change. There would be a change because at the same year, All American Girl came out. Um, the Joy Luck Club came out. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for the first time, for a lot of us, we were seeing Asian American faces, hearing their voice in the movies and on television. You would think that there would have been some real shift. Right. But, uh, you know, it didn't happen again until 25 years later, of course, now with Fresh Off the Boat and, and Crazy Rich Asians. So hopefully this is, you know, something that's here to stay. Do you think it is? Like, I'm honestly wondering about your so. opinion. You hope so. I hope so. Okay. I would like it to be. You know, um, it's the thing is, the trick is, is to um, really see more. And I think that, you know, Always Be My Maybe came out on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Ali Wong has her specials, which are so great. Which are incredible. And um, Ken Jeong also doing a lot of specials. Aquafina's in, in quite a few movies all the time now. So that's really great. So I think that hopefully now there would be more of a sense that we would see more Asian Americans. But I mean, you're an actor too, so. I mean, formerly a very bad one. No. And with a very uh, uh, undistinguished career. No. Which is which is why I had to sort of like focus on writing because like things were so bad <laughs> well i i understand i mean i did a lot of stand-up comedy i mean I, I i think that we had i had to form another industry i couldn't i couldn't just do it all on acting for sure you know and i think that's quite true for a lot of uh, asian american actors out there that we we look into other industries to sustain us and then become well known in those industries yeah. so that that we can kind of do both which yeah. i think is really good and yeah you know, that's good and we sort of like if you're an asian american actor you kind of have to be able to do everything True. You know, that, that you have to have the range because um, we're called on just you, you just never know what's going to what's going to come up mm-hmm. for casting when the breakdowns or whatever they right. do now. You know, whatever it is, whether it's um, I'm usually some kind of a cop or a doctor. Yeah, I am usually a computer technician mm-hmm. or, or also a doctor. Yeah. 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 Or um, sometimes uh, I will I'll be. um the uh, person of color voice of reason. Okay. <laughs> Wait a minute. Put the gun down. Yeah. Right. It's like, uh, uh, you know, um, that that uh, person. Of, there's always the person of color in whatever production. That is the reality check. 
So I'm half Chinese. Mm-hmm. I would go. I would walk into uh, auditions, and I would frequently tower over everyone else in the room who was being called in for computer technician mm-hmm. part on whatever procedural that, that, that it was for. And mm-hmm. so I would. I would be confusing to casting people because mm-hmm. I was too tall to be Asian. Right. Yeah. Like, it's like, hmm. Like, but suspiciously tall. This is not, <laughs> this um, is not what you're supposed to look like. Drink now. a lot of milk. That's right. That's the thing is maybe our generation, I feel like we, I'm, I'm older than you, but I feel like we're kind of similar generation. The, um, our generation is like the first tall Asian Americans. <laughs> Because we drank a lot of milk. With, like, proper nutrition. Yeah. yeah. There's something, like, we didn't have rickets that we, you know, we, we stayed alive more than 100 days. Yeah. And we were able to um, weather the storm and became very, very tall. Whether it's, the, I don't know what's in milk that makes people tall. Now, you grew up in the Bay Area, right? Correct. Okay. San Francisco. So, I grew up in, outside of Chicago, which had, like, no Asian people. Ooh. And, mm-hmm. which was a very, like, bad experience yeah. and i wonder what it would have been like like growing up surrounded by asians was that like good i think it was um i think it was good but um also i have dyke face so when you are um when you're uh perceived as gay okay then i think that it you know asian kids there, there really are a, a sense of like if you get bullied for your race somewhere and then you 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 feel you internalize that if you can go back to people of your kind and find that weak link in the herd mm. and bully them. So I kind of got a lot of like I was I really had a lot of problems with white kids and 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 all of that. But then we'd have to go to Korean school or Sunday school or Korean churches. And then I would really get it from Korean kids. Mm-hmm. So I kind of felt very isolated, even when there were a lot of people who looked like me around oh, okay that's you know? interesting so but i can imagine like just thinking like if you think about chicago like what makes me think of that is a long duck dong sure the 16 john, candles yeah john hughes movies uh-huh. and um, well in that movie in particular where you have this asian character where which i think is it's very difficult for a lot of asian american men to look back on and that's chicago to me oh for sure yeah, em- like embarrassing. Yeah. And when you are watching the movie with like a group of your friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that character comes on the mm-hmm. screen and everyone kind of like looks at you mm-hmm. and is like laughing. Yeah, like you should be enjoying this. Why it's aren't you like, enjoying yeah. this? <laughs> this <laughs> is for you. Like, this part's for you. I'm mortified. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. It's a hard thing because I think a lot of people, uh, you know, I think about Phil Yu, you know, angry Asian man. Uh-huh. He's he's amazing. And he, you know, he talks about that character with, you know, great Great, great shame and anger around that. And uh, I feel like I read an interview with the actor too. Like Getty, I, yeah. I felt like some real empathy for him. I did too. As far as like, you know, how do you turn down a part in you like can't. a major studio movie? A huge movie. And how can you? You yeah. know, Getty and Getty is great. I mean, I know him personally. I think he's a great guy. I think he is somebody like for myself too. Like I understand that. Like we had to take roles that, um, you know, I guess. I guess there was just nothing else, mm-hmm. you know. So whether that is um, something that is, um, you know, somebody is like, can't speak English or heavily accented English and that kind of stuff, you know, it's like it doesn't it doesn't uh, stand the test of time, for sure. you know. But but we didn't have other opportunities, so should we just be invisible? It's a choice between not existing or existing on someone else's terms. Absolutely. So that's that's something that I definitely grappled with. Uh, I was a lot. Um, Younger, so it was almost the generation before us, 
Um, and then I look at movies like uh, Flower Drum Song and somebody like Nancy Kwan, mm-hmm. who... Um, who is a cousin of mine. Oh, really? Yeah, like third or like second. Oh, wow. Third, yeah. She's amazing. 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 Yeah. I mean, and should have had a career like Natalie Wood. Mm-hmm. Or something, you know, ha- had this. She was a major screen presence, like, a, you know, a real beauty mm-hmm. of that time and a great actress and a dancer and singer, did everything. Um, had her pearl cream. Pearl cream. Remember pearl cream? <laughs> pearl cream. And we may we real pearl. Pearl cream. Pearl. And, but I mean, just, you know, somebody that uh, I, look, I look back on her and I think, wow, what an incredible person yeah. to have dealt with the 60s and racism towards Asian Americans and also to be half at that point For too, sure. to be biracial then was, um, you know, where do you feel like you can fit in anywhere? Yeah. You know, it's um, it's really interesting. But yeah, I think um, Kevin Kwan is also related to her, I believe. Yeah. Distant relative. Kevin Kwan, yeah, Kevin Kwan, also a cousin of mine. Wow. Author of the Crazy Rich Crazy Asians series, yeah. which is now um, a, a, an a, a amazing shift in the way we're going to look at Asian American culture, I think. Sure. From now on. Yeah. I mean, I'm just happy that I'm happy that stuff is getting made. I'm happy that you can have a, a romantic comedy like Crazy Rich Asians, Always Be My Maybe, which really just no, normal, like normalizes the idea that you can like be Asian and have a life mm-hmm. in, in the in the world mm-hmm. and that it's not necessary. Like I really would love to see just like any number of like horrible uh, Chuck Lorre shows on CBS, but only with Asian actors. <laughs> yes, you know, exactly. The, the idea yeah. that just we're just there. Like yeah. we're there like everyone else. Yeah. Um, because I do feel like the pressure. I feel, I feel like there's a lot of pressure whenever there is like an Asian, pro- an all Asian cast or project. There's so there's such a focus. There's such a spotlight on it that it has to really excel and really perform. Mm-hmm. There's so much pressure. Otherwise, it's it's like the momentum that we build up may just collapse. Right. You know, the minute something comes out and it's not an immediate hit. Yeah. And there's also that kind of thing about um, it needing to be authentic. Right. That authenticity thing, which for me, it's like we never ask anything from white culture to be authentic. Right. You know, like there's nothing like that kind of, um, you know, you need that stamp of authenticity (laughs) approval. But it's a a strange thing. So I I don't know exactly... um, what that even means. Uh-huh. I think it comes out of like the one thing um, that I do know that Asian American culture is very, um, it's kind of coming into a place of real renown is in the food world. This is true. So, you know, you see a lot of Asian American faces in, and, and, you know, people from Asia, uh, you know, from like something even like Martin Yan. Martin Yan was the, probably one of the first Asians that I remember seeing on yeah. TV. Yan Ken Cook. Yeah. And very comedic, mm-hmm. like he was real silly about it, mm-hmm. which um, sort of brought, brought humor into the kitchen and with his comedy, with his cleavers. And I, I think that it was like a different take on like that sort of the exoticized, like the Chinese magician that you would see like in like For Ripley's sure. Believe It or Not. But he was here a chef and, you know, he was like chopping up duck. And uh, but now, you know, you have the Roy Choi's and you have mm-hmm. um all of this attention around it, you know, like night song, like night song, Mar- right? You've night got Chris song. from Night Market. Night Market. And... There's um, 
uh, Jazz from Jitlada. Jazz from Jitlada. There's all of these people. R- yes. Brandon Ju from Mr. Ju's in San Francisco. Right. Danny Bowen, David Chang. Yeah. yeah of, David Chang's a major one. Yeah, David Chang, that's so, like, he's so East Coast. You know, and all of his stuff is sort of Mary's um, food culture, like Lucky Peach and, and all the food shows and Anthony Bourdain. Like, I think that I used to think about, like, Anthony Bourdain as really... Um, Maybe it's actually not even just Anthony Bourdain. It's Jonathan Gold bringing mm-hmm. people into these um, restaurants that maybe white people were afraid to go to. Absolutely, and yeah. and and Jonathan, um, w- who was the the critic for the LA Times and for the LA Weekly for for many years, was such an ambassador for the city, mm-hmm. and just such an incredible oracle of information, but really got people excited in a way that Bourdain did too, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, just got people so excited to try new things in mm-hmm. a way that, that no one else really was able to do. Yeah. And um, well, I think with Anthony Bourdain, it, you, it's so amazing, you know, to go um, to these like Sundubu restaurants or places in Koreatown or these little restaurants that after his death, and they all had little pictures of him up on their walls. Mm-hmm. And just the they loved him so much because they they that they know that he brought the white people. Yeah. You know, like he brought the white people, which gave us an edge. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. That, that's like, you know, because in Koreatown, all these businesses are, are really fiercely competitive. And sure. you only go to the place that, you know, reminds you of maybe your mother's cooking. And then, you know, so... I think a lot of times, like, white people don't know where to go because right. everything seems, like, so foreign and scary. But, um, you know, Anthony Bourdain gave us this sort of, like, entree into this world. Mm-hmm. And so his death was really, it, it was hugely mourned, as was Jonathan Gold's. Absolutely. Hugely mourned. Um, did you did you ever meet um, Jonathan? Yes. Uh, Jonathan and I uh, ate a few meals together wow. o- over the years, and I, I met uh, Bourdain once or twice, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but they were both obviously just exceedingly influential yeah. figures in my life, and my and and I would not be able to do what I do now if you know were it not for them. Yeah, I mean, it's the it's to me, it's what you're doing is the job of jobs. It is like I I really have a love of food writing from M. F. K. Fisher. Sure. So, you know, the way that she wrote about eating and food and her history with food and all of her stories, boarding school and food during the Depression and all of these mm-hmm. things, to me, just lit up this world of, oh, there's so much to talk about because it's not just food. It's everything that we do around it. And, um, you know, in contrast to MFK Fisher's life, which was actually very difficult, mm. you know, her husband's in severe pain, he's dying of cancer. I think he eventually commits suicide because mm. of this overwhelming pain. So she's dealing with this man who's dying. And, and, you know, so she's looking to her writing about food to maybe seek some comfort there. Mm. So where does your food writing begin? Well, I mean, it's... That's such an interesting question. I I mean, food, I think, is it is the sort of connective tissue for, for all of us. And it is the way it is. It's like a Trojan horse. So mm-hmm. it's it's a way to talk about other stuff sort of in the disguise of like the big wooden horse. It's like, oh, you think we're talking, we're just going to talk about like kimchi stew, Mm -hmm. but actually we're going to talk about like politics and Mm -hmm. immigration Mm -hmm. and all of these sort of like deeper, more important issues that you can 
sort of ease your way into through the guise of food because we all have that in common mm. and we all have an everyone loves food like we all have that interest in common yeah and it's it really is the best way to make an immediate connection with someone you've never met mm-hmm. and to try to understand someone's culture and where someone is from right. so i think that's the interest for me mm-hmm. is that you know it's it's a common thing that we all love and that we all have a very strong opinion about you know everyone has whatever thing that they had as as a kid that deeply resonates with them and that they feel deeply opinionated about Mm -hmm. um but yeah it's just a super good way to sort of foster understanding and like connect with people Mm -hmm. i think that's that's exactly true i think that's really yeah that's exactly true and um you hit them in a very primal place absolutely you know and um i think yeah, what I love is, um, I, well, I love the Eater series where you go through and you're, you know, you're looking at these very like inexpensive ways to dine, you know, dining on a dime, which is so great. I love anything like that's about um, frugality and um, like it reminds me a little bit of when you would have local news and you would have the green grocer mm-hmm. and they're telling you what's fresh produce at the season. Yeah. But it's kind of, it's kind of related to that, you know, dining on a dime, um, you're going all over, you're, you know, you're going all over the place. Yeah, all you know, over the world. Yeah. All over the world, which is incredible. And really showing people, well, these are options for what you want to do. Because you're not just eating the f- delicious food. You're also getting a, a glimpse into this, you know, these different neighborhoods, these different places that people haven't even thought of. Yeah. And I think the theory behind that, um, Dining on a Dime, which is a show I did for Eater, and I'm working on a new show now for the LA Times, which is where I'm, which is where I work now as a mm-hmm. columnist. And the the Frugal Traveler column I wrote for the New York Times for three years, um, and I sort of ended up getting into this like cheap frugal zone, mm-hmm. sort of unintentionally, but it ended up being good in a lot of ways because I I generally believe that like money separates you from people. Right. And when you go somewhere, be it a neighbor, you know, if you're going to Koreatown or if you're going to San Gabriel Valley or if you're going, you know, even within around L.A. or if you're traveling overseas, sort of the more money you throw throw at something, it only serves to sort of separate you from having like a good experience mm-hmm. and having a quote unquote, and I, this is a pro- it's a word I have a problem with, but like an authentic experience when you travel somewhere. Um, it generally just serves to be like a wall between you and like the culture you're ostensibly trying to get to know. Right. Um, and so by focusing on things that are cheap and again, like it's it's not a thing that I don't have problems with because I do because I don't like the, the stereotype that certain foods have to be cheap or certain foods are expected mm-hmm. to be cheap. But I do think that by focusing on inexpensive foods that that people actually eat in a neighborhood you do get a a better sense of of what a place is like as opposed to going to some super high-end you know three or four hundred dollar tasting menu because i think that that's theater for you know for a a particular group of people and 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 you're not going to really like have any sort of sense of what it's like to be living in Chengdu or Hanoi or mm-hmm. any of these places, you know, if you if you separate yourself with like a bag full of money. Yeah. Um, so that is why I like to focus on things that are, you know, quote unquote, cheaper and expensive. Yeah. I mean, that's real terroir, you know, like you're really tasting the environment. Mm-hmm. You're tasting the soil that grew all of it, you know, the the, the world there, that part of the world that sustains it, you know, at the same time. 
at the same time, I think it's like fucked up that people don't want to pay money for Asian food or people don't oh, want yeah, to, like, yeah. like don't want to pay money for Mexican food or think oh, that yeah, like yeah. tacos should be a dollar and think that like a bowl of pho is expensive if it's more than seven dollars. But people are willing to eat fucking like thirty dollar agnolotti at the Italian place. Like right, like that's right, that's right. insane to me. So mm-hmm. that's that's sort of why I don't like like the cheap aspect of it. Mm-hmm. But so there's like sort of a, a push and pull there because I do think that that the cuisines need to be respected and treated equally and that, you know, Italian and French food, which people are willing to shell out a lot of money right. for, you know, people aren't willing to do that for for Asian food. Exactly. You know, you're 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 really. Yeah, that's right. It's like you feel you 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 come at it like like this is like where you could see where this is where the, the co- colonial mindset kind of like comes into play. You know, and um, it, it's so yeah, it's so complicated because it's like w- what we do pay for, mm-hmm. you know, what we what we think of as um, being really special. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I think like my uh, I have a friend who's German who you know was really really kind of kind of trying to make me understand why it was so hard to grow up next to France because <laughs> they felt such um, a sense of like never measuring up that's so funny to France in all of its culture and it felt guilty about invading them yeah. or just... <laughs> just but how hard you know the food is like not you know measured in the same way right you know and so that that there's that thing there's a kind of an inferiority complex around it or I always think of a like um you know, the white people trying to best each other in Europe, like when it's all about Nordic food, right, right, right. <laughs> the Nordic food explosion. Absolutely. It's like now we're all about like salmon roe mm-hmm. and not not the Japanese way. Mm-hmm. We're going to do it the Nordic way. Like Nordic food for, uh, you know, a couple of years there became like the gold standard. I think, you know, I think it still is. Yeah. I mean, Noma is still, you know, right up there with mm. one in Denmark. Have you eaten there? I have not eaten at Noma, no, but it's, I would love to go. It's crazy. I got to interview Renee and uh, I went um, and, and I did a day of the the meal takes about three and a half hours. Mm-hmm. So I had a, a lunchtime a service and then I sat with the staff um you know, for staff meal in between um, them and then dinner service. Oh, and, cool. and so it was really it was really interesting to go back, um, you know, into the kitchen and, and they were um, all having these pastries with a chocolate that had been made out of seaweed, um, which was just I mean, I think, you know, it's just as beautiful for the staff meal as it is for the for the patrons. Right. So it's real artistry that they do. It is super. It is incredible artistry. And. Um, and the stuff that happens in, you know, in China and Korea and, and I think people, I think Japan has now been elevated to the, you know, people do associate Japanese food and sushi with like artisanal, you know, these great, these great skilled chefs, Mm -hmm. but that still has not carried over into other countries like Vietnamese food, which is incredible or, or Chinese food, which is just like a fucking endless trove of like, you can never get to the bottom of like what Chinese food is. And yet no one can name a Chinese chef, like literally not like a chef from China, Mm -hmm. even though, like, even though one of the most incredible chefs in the world and in China, this guy named Yu Bo, who's trying to open a restaurant now in LA, he, he lives here now. Mm -hmm. But no one knows who he is mm-hmm. because for whatever reason, we, we've we never elevated a Chinese chef or, or any Asian chef who's like, 
you know, to the level of like Rene Redzepi or mm-hmm. uh, Magnus from from Favaken, uh, the restaurant in in Sweden. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's just like hopefully it'll happen, and like yeah. being able to sort of catch up and and say, hey, you know, when you make something from flour and water, and it's Italian, it should, you know, you should be able to, you should justify paying as much for something that's made from flour and water, like noodles, that, mm-hmm. that is a Chinese dish. Because, exactly. like, because the craft and, like, the skill and the dedication to, like, making something great is is there equally. Yeah. You know? But I think it sort of comes, it, it relates back to, like, the emergence of Chinese restaurants in America, where sure. you wouldn't even have the name of something you would, you would order food by the number mm-hmm. because the name was it was just so difficult you couldn't possibly say it you know yeah. and um that it that, that like all of it sort of had to be uh, you know internally regulated so all chinese restaurants sort of have the same structure so that right we, like white people could understand this vastly strange food and then you've got like chinese american cuisine which is sort of like its own separate thing right where you've got like the really sweet and sticky like general so's kind of thing which mm-hmm. is sort of like its own creation you know when white people discovered chinatowns as like a place to visit mm-hmm. and a place to go mm-hmm. um you know restaurateurs needed to tailor their menus for the palates of mm-hmm. the people who visited yeah um and so you've got that which is like an entirely different thing but yeah the the idea that and something that I really love about L.A. and something that Jonathan taught me about L.A. is that, like, there are all of these little neighborhoods that are these, like, incubators for food. And you've got, uh, you know, Alhambra and Monterey Park and SGV and you've got, you know, Koreatown and you've got Westminster and Garden Grove for Vietnamese food. And, like, these are all places that are so far apart from each other and Mm -hmm. from, like, the center, you know, the quote-unquote center of L.A. commercially. They've been able to, like, develop independent of anything else. So, like, they're not counting on me to come and visit and patronize them. They don't care. They're there to serve their own community. Mm -hmm. The Vietnamese restaurants in Westminster are there for Vietnamese people. Mm -hmm. Like they're not trying to, they don't, they could care less about attracting, you know, a white person from West Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And that sort of like allows, and that's what makes the cuisine so good is Mm -hmm. that it is, you know, by Vietnamese people for Vietnamese people. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes LA kind of special. Right. Because it is so vast and you do have to like go such a long way. Mm -hmm. And these places can sort of like grow and uh, and develop independent of of other places in LA. Oh yeah, yeah. that's very true. So. That's very true. What do you think is the next um, kind of place that, or what the next kind of cuisine <clears throat> or ethnic cuisine that is go- is going to come up? I think I have a feeling like it, it is going to be either um, kind of like the Shang- Shanghai, like a rice pancake or like a green onion pancake kind of. What is oh, okay. this? What is this? Sh- uh, What's the sandwich that you you featured um, that's in a restaurant in San Francisco on on Irving and like Ninth Avenue that's in another restaurant that does the the Chinese pancake oh, sandwich? The, the Jen Bing, the, yeah, the, Jen Bing. The, the thing that you yeah. put the big flat thing in a, that's like a pancake. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's super delicious. Yeah, and I remember you can get those um, all over China, uh, and it's like a it's like it's like a breakfast thing. Yeah. Um, 
And I think that could definitely, it's interesting. I, when we're talking about sort of like, what's the next, you know, cuisine, you know, so, you know, quote unquote, ethnic cuisine, that's going to be popular. I remember, I think I read something. I forget what website it was on about how like America loves immigrants, but only for their food, like, <laughs> which I think is kind of, it's true. Which I think is like yeah. kind of it's like real. depressing and yeah. true. Yeah. Um, and and so, yeah, I think about that as far as like food media and like latching onto trends. But but the fact is that like, you know, people do sort of, you know, find certain cuisines, whether it's Filipino cuisine, which is. Mm-hmm. Made a big resurgence in in the past few years with yeah. places like Mamsur and mm-hmm. places like Lhasa and mm. um, but Taiwanese food, yeah, um, Taiwanese breakfast, uh, yeah, Shang- yeah, Shanghainese. Um, our critic at the LA Times just reviewed a, a Shanghainese place, Jiangnan Spring, in the SGV, which is by Golden Deli, that Vietnamese place, mm-hmm. um, and. Yeah, it's tough to say. I mean, the, the 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 cuisine that's having that's really having its moment right now, at least in the sort of Chinese realm, is still Sichuan food. Yeah, and just like super fiery hot. Yeah, I love uh, that. Yeah, and hot pot and mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure. That hot pot is really that's really um Mikey Chen territory. Oh yeah, he loves the hot pot. He loves that any kind of hot pot. He, um, well, I think Mikey Chen is great. I think, I think it's like what's fu- so fun about food and YouTube uh-huh. is I usually I watch you, I watch Mikey Chen, and then I watch um, Mark Waynes. Right. You guys, and it's it's so it's Hapa dominated. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, which is very cool. We are, we are a very you know we're genetically superior. That's right. Uh, people with yes. the, with the best right. palate. That's right. Um, Mikey Chen is funny because he has food. Um, he not food phobias, but he has distinct dislikes that okay. I, I think are like. Well, if you're a food critic, you've got it like you raw fish, but for he sure. really doesn't have a he doesn't have a, a fondness for that. There's certain things that he doesn't like that I'm like, wow, that that's interesting for a food critic not yeah. to not to want. Are, are there things that you don't like? There are some things I don't like. I've I've tried to learn to uh, at least try everything mm-hmm. and to really get into, especially with a lot of the Asian cuisines, get into the texture, into yeah. like the tendon and mm. like the chewiness yeah. of like chicken feet and to yeah. really like appreciate that mm-hmm. because it is such a huge, you know, element of Asian cuisines is like it's not just the taste like right. it's, it's about the texture mm-hmm. and something that's like really chewy or something mm-hmm. that's like really gummy. And you kind of got to like get into it. Ooh, it's like, um, or metallic. Yeah, yeah. Like metallic, like that's uh, sundae, which is the blood sausage, mm. Korean blood sausage, or uh, any kind of blood cube, any kind of blood stew, or, um, or uh, you know, like the the tamale in lobster. Oh, sure. The green, or like the roe in a crab. Mm-hmm. It's that green. Those taste very metallic. It might just be the mercury. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should probably ease up on the... That's kind of scary. Yeah, on the... Bluefin tuna. Well, that that when I uh, a bit I went to Sukiji before it moved. Okay. You know, and um, Sukiji Fish Market in in uh, Tokyo, and um, I had huge anxiety because of all of the things that were being drawn out of the sea daily. Mm. Because if you go to that market before, I mean, it's I think some of it's closed to the public now. Um, I went and I tried to go and it was closed because the day before, a British tourist had licked a tuna oh 
like as a joke. No. He was like, why? Uh, 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 like, it's like a fucking half million dollar tuna. No. And he <laughs> and he licked it to be funny. What? I mean, was it, I mean, like, like, like Ariana Grande that? licked that donut? <laughs> was it that's, Yeah. I mean, she just licked a donut. And instead she was... of a 79 cent donut, yeah. it's like a $500,000 tuna. Oh, my God. And so they, like, shut the place down. Yeah. Which they sh- rightly so. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, but uh, that that is terrible. Yeah, it was really I stupid. mean, that is, it's terrible. I mean, that, <laughs> I wonder what it tasted like to just ice. I, yeah, probably. This time probably I imagine just stuck it to was, it. I imagine it was frozen, you know. But, um, yeah, the amount of things that they take out of the sea daily. One place I've never been, and I'm ashamed to say I've never, I mean, just through the airport, but I've never spent any meaningful time in Korea mm. ever at all. And I would really, I need to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that, um, I think that if you like fermentation. Love it. <laughs> then you, you would have a good time. Stinky. I just, love stinky. Oh, yeah. um, earthy um yeah i i love i love korea i have a lot of um baggage when i go like because of the um kind of just like the you know i i have to remember all my honorifics but you know what's good now is that i'm 50 years old now so when i go to korea i'm actually the grandma oh wow now i'm the harmony so i have like this unearned respect that (laughs) i get immediately in the culture because i'm old it's fu- it's like exhausting when I yeah. go to China. Yeah. Because obviously everyone expects you to speak whatever the language, and I don't know how good your Korean is. My Chinese is okay, mm-hmm. and but it's really hard. Like mm-hmm. I like the sort of the expectation and sort of like that kind of look of disappointment in people's faces when you open your mouth <laughs> and you're like not very good at like asking where the subway is. <laughs> I just find it like emotionally exhausting to like yeah. go to China. Yeah. Because you're because you're not like I'm I don't feel Chinese. And mm-hmm. then it's also sort of emotionally exhausting to be here when you don't feel American. So it's like it's you know, but do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, it's like you don't where you you just don't belong anywhere. Yeah. But what I find about it is that when you when they know that you're trying mm-hmm. to speak the language, they are so appreciative. That and is they, true. They try to receive it with such it's like they're being presented with a gift that's true they really really appreciate the effort and that i think says a lot yeah. you know and it's really nice and um but yeah it is definitely like at first it's 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 really like i turn i regress i turn into a kid because mm-hmm. that was like the last time i really spoke korean fluently yeah. as a child so i i think i regress emotionally um but it's strange to go back and you know, in the stages of your life and how much asian culture reveres age mm. so that's a very that's kind of and gratifying too. Yeah, that's that's what I like. Um, and I, 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 yeah, if you like if you like fermentation, if you like anything with rice flour, that's chewy. Yeah, um, any kind of a mochi or like a duck thing. I love it. I love it. I love it. I could just eat that. Do you have favorite uh, places in K Town? Um, I like. Um, well, you know, this is I'm so basic that I am just really into the BCDs. Sure. So I'll just go to the BCD because it's something that like I can go to with friends and I don't have to explain a lot of stuff. Let's get your tofu. Yeah. yeah. And just get like, you know, that that kind of uh, food is, I think is really, um, to me, what I really love. I love a rice bakery, like any of those rice bakeries that are in like the malls. Mm-hmm. Um, and then probably my favorite Sundubu place is, um, I think was it, uh, Beverly Sundubu. Right. Yeah, it's yeah. The, Beverly Sundubu Tofu. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, the one. Place is great. Yeah. That's I, it's on Olympic and Vermont. Mm-hmm. So and then yeah, Parks Barbecue. Of course, everybody loves. 
And oh. uh, there's like a, also an imperial Korean cuisine. Is it Sheila? Maybe it's across the street. I don't know. I don't know if that one, the name it, but you, it's the ones where you get like a private room oh, for okay. dining. So um, that I would go with my family. Um, now I like that, you know, I like that uh, pureed pumpkin. Oh, yeah. Do you have a favorite Korea town? I'm trying to think of the place that I really like for cold noodles. Uh, the Nang Nangyeon. Um, North Korean the, delight. Yeah. North um, Korean. And perfect for summer. I forget, I forget the name of the place now. Um, I The place for uh, Junwon has really good uh, Bosam. The mm, yeah, Bosam pork, is great. Yeah. And um, love Beverly Soon. I mean, I like all of the sort of drinking holes, the, uh, the Dunsung Sa's and the Digul Mooks mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and the place where you, the military themed, uh, bars in K-Town. Oh yeah. Like, where you get the cheese corn. And yeah. The, I love, yeah. I love, um, it's, uh, it's like the, the, there's sort of that big complex on six and mm-hmm. you go behind and there's that really famous Kabi restaurant. And then there's the bar that has sort of like water features. And I, I just love any kind of like Koreatown restaurant because there's going to be like a, a white grand piano right. and a waterfall somewhere. <laughs> True. And the, and the Prince. I like the Prince. Oh, the Prince is good. Which is just like a, a bar. Yeah, the Prince is where my dad would probably go eat the sanachi, which is that my dad is very like macho, so he oh, okay. loves like the live uh, squid, live it's actually like octopus. Oh wow! You know, wrapped around chopsticks and killed with your teeth. I I, I don't mean, like that. I can't. Yeah, I, I mean I can, but it's I don't. I can't. I don't feel good about it. It, it doesn't taste like anything yeah. either. Like it's not like it's not really like you can flavor it with anything because like soy sauce kind of hurts them too. So I mean. I don't know why you care about hurting them before they die, but in your mouth. <laughs> I guess it just kind of appeals to that ideal that you're like killing something or it's like macho. hunting something. Yeah. It's macho. Like my dad is like kind of a macho foodie. Food. I don't know what that is, but he's very much like that. Like, oh, you know, I'm going to eat this chicken that was only fed snakes. Yeah. <laughs> See if you can really taste the snake. Yeah, that you can taste the snake. Yeah. I do like snake soup that you could get in Hong Kong. I okay. do like that. Yeah, it's like I, very chicken noodle. For my birthday in China, they they fed me an entire sna- an entire snake. So like, they made something from the meat, and then they made soup from the bones, and then they fried the skin. You eat the skin, and then they then you drink the blood, mm. and so you like consume the whole thing, and it's supposed to be like symbolic for virility or something. I love it. I guess. But this is also like a culture where like whatever body part hurts, you eat that part of right. the animal. Which kind of makes sense, doesn't sort it? Sort of. <laughs> Or if you're like, kind of. or if you're impotent, like you eat a horse dick because mm. you think that's going to make you virile or something like that. Yeah. So. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I've never actually had horse. A horse is something that you would get in Europe or Venice. I remember going to like a horse market. Or in Central Asia. Yeah. They right. eat, they eat uh, horse meat mm-hmm. and they do in Italy too. I yeah, had yeah. some in Sicily. They mm. eat horse meat. Um, now, but there's no horse meat in America, is there? Uh, I don't know if you can do that here. Mm-hmm. I know there was like a little bit of a controversy, controversy, controversy some years ago for horse meat that was found in those IKEA meatballs. But I don't. <laughs> no. Yeah, I, oh, I think no. I read something about that. Hmm. But yeah, I don't. I don't think that's really I don't know. kosher I don't in know. this country. Hmm. Now, um, I want people uh, to to be able to watch your new show i'm gonna watch it when is it so it's going to be on is it youtube okay so we're uh we're shooting it and we're almost done we have a name for it that i'm not i do you have like a good name for a show i'm trying to we're trying to think of names for the show right now that are not 
really sticking and but it is like a food exploration show it's the idea that the best way you get to know food in a place in this case los angeles is through the different neighborhoods so we're going to do all of these we're gonna uh, go to Thai town and see jazz and we're, then we're going to go to laxi which is this huge uh, uh Thai Costco um, cl- close to downtown and go shopping and then cook together. Oh, great. And so, you know, stuff like that. I love jazz. Um, and so that is hopefully rolling out this summer mm-hmm. um, either on latimes.com or or I'm, I'm not exactly sure what we're doing. Um, yeah. But, but it's going to be good. Yeah. It's su- super exciting. That's and, great. And then all of the old Dining on a Dime episodes I, I did for Eater, those are still, you can still watch those on Yeah. YouTube. And they're they're really, really informative. I think it's great if you're going to that city, you know, that you can like do, uh, you know, look at the episodes and, and the, oh, I want to eat there. Yeah, like I sure. did that actually when I went to Toronto. Oh, you did? Yeah. So oh, I, and I, I went to that uh, pho place. Oh, you did? Yes. Delicious. The, the turtle. Uh, yeah. Golden something. Yeah. yeah delicious. Yeah. Super good. So delicious. My favorite. Um, now, uh, yeah. And I, I want to read. Yeah, I read you now. You're on the LA Times. You're writing uh, for yes, the LA Times. Writing for the LA Times. Yes. Writing for the food section. So people, you know, read and eat. And um, what what are your what are your handles? Uh, Twitter at Lucas Peterson. Instagram. Stale, oh, st- oh, Instagram at, at stale, stale Twizzlers. Twizzlers. Yes. Because they're better if they're stale. They're they're che- you can kind of like just gnaw on them all day. And it it's better uh, than a, like a paper straw. And also, Lucas Peterson was taken on Instagram. So yeah, mine, mine too. My, I, Margaret Cho's <laughs> taken. I know. And then it says Margaret Cho, not the comedian. No. <laughs> And I'm like, the... yeah, it says a per- and I'm like, what the? Well, I mean, they're probably getting like a bunch of follows because yeah. they think that people think that they're you. Yeah. Or people think that I'm not a comedian. Yeah. <laughs> not. <laughs> She's not. She's really not. Um, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really had fun. Me too. Never miss an episode of The Margaret Show. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Powered by ACAST. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.